Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello, lockdown lovies. This is the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport, looking at the big, important stories from the world of football and providing you a little bit of light relief from the pressure washing, the DIY, the homeschooling, or baking a focaccia. Ah, culinary skills coming in handy in the northeast at the moment as Mike Ashley reduces his asking price to a tastier level so that Amanda Stavely bites off his hand. But is this cake still at the mixing stage or is it almost baked? Elsewhere, English football plans for a June return, but in Scotland there was nothing snappy about the decision to end the season. The Crocodiles of Dundee took six days longer than everyone else to make up their mind. Struth! Coming up, former England and Spurs centre-back and current Nottingham Forest captain Michael Dawson on the teammate headed to the Premier League and his new DIY skill. Manchester City in England forward Ellen White gives her favourite TV shows away. Nigel Adley dons an apron in commentary confinement and Portsmouth defender Christian Burgess delivers medicines to the vulnerable. All on the absolutely delighted to be here game day podcast from TalkSport. This is game day. Yeah, and I have to say, thank you so much for listening and downloading and sharing this podcast at a time where, let's be honest about it, Crook and I, who are busy bees and have to keep ourselves occupied at all times otherwise, well, he has a meltdown and rings me 27 times a day, and I like just get quite sort of stressy and angry and sweaty um but we've been given uh, a license to have fun and be creative with this podcast i think we both needed it to be honest with you and i'm i'm really enjoying it so thank you very much for downloading and getting involved yeah it's good fun uh it's a challenge isn't it without any live games to preview which obviously was the basis of the original game day podcast but i think we've got some some great guests and as you say we're always trying to think of uh, new and interesting ways to entertain the listeners and i do think that today we've got some cracking interviews including the one with christian burgess at the end of the program and michael dawson who's brilliant and he's coming up very shortly uh, but it's not the only thing we've been collaborating on is it <laughs> uh, you're talking about the home baking aren't you uh, we had a transatlantic you know baking class it was brilliant I think it was a success. Uh, Your brother, um, uh, top chef in America, kindly let us into his cookbook and and was very patient, I have to say, (laughs) as we uh, asked him constant questions. But in the end, uh, we all ended up uh, baking lots of dough and and, and bread. I made some nice bread rolls. I've got to say, though, I've just seen his shopping list for this week's class. We're making quiche and popcorn chicken and, and barbecue sauce. 
I don't know about booking an online delivery from Tesco's. I might have to buy the whole shop. Well, I know. I see that as well. Um, the ingredients last week were quite challenging already because he sent us out with a shopping list uh, to go and buy things like flour and yeast. And at the moment, flour and yeast are very difficult to come by, aren't they? I mean, I had to go to at least three shops. It was one of those moments as well when I eventually got my hands on a packet of yeast where I stood in the middle of this small deli in the middle of Didsbury, right? I got down on my knees and I celebrated like I just scored the winning goal in the FA Cup final. I was like, yes, I've got yeast. <laughs> I would like to have seen that. Luckily, I had my fairy godfather, didn't I? Our friend Higo, who just dropped the uh, ingredients off on my doorstep. That was quite useful. <laughs> That's not like you to get a little bit of a leg up. Um, and th- obviously, the other thing we've been collaborating on, the quiz on a Friday night on Talk Sports Twitter page, but um, we were both. I was nominated by um, Ray Houghton to down a pint in as quick a time as possible on some Instagram challenge thing. Um, and I must say, um, I was pathetic at it. I, I, I can't do this. I mean, I think you did it in about six seconds when I offered you the opportunity to follow me. Um, but I, I mean, I was, I was pretty low grade at that. I was going to say, have you finished your pint yet or are you still making your way through it? It took me 56 seconds, 56 seconds to download a pint. Download a pint. They were painful seconds as well. <laughs> they the were. The anguish on your face throughout was just hilarious. I know. I, know. I actually, I'm so bad at drinking beer like that. I can't do it. I'm, I'm awful. I'm awful. And if I'm completely honest with you, right, it was only it was only a light beer. It wasn't even like a proper man's beer. It was a pathetic beer. Anyway, I got there in the end, and it really was in the end. The the relief on my face at the end when it finished, I was like, oh, thank God for that. You did it in one Instagram slide, I think. I did it in four. Not very impressive. (laughs) Let's get to the top stories. Newcastle are close to having new owners with official paperwork suggesting the new owners will involve the Saudi Crown Prince. If ratified by the Premier League, it will end 13 years of Mike Ashley ownership. English football is planning to return to action on June the 6th. The proposals will see the conclusion of this football season being played out behind closed doors. Tottenham and Bournemouth have reversed their decisions to use the government's furlough scheme for some non-playing staff during the coronavirus crisis following criticism from supporters. And journalists clearly went back to work in Spain this week. Real Madrid were linked in the last few days with Kylian Mbappe, Sadio Mane, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Jadon Sancho and Erling Braut Haaland. I did think that was hilarious, the amount of stories after two days of journalists returning to work in in Spain. (laughs) People linked with Real Madrid, they're obviously going to go on a splurge this summer. Well, well, whenever the transfer window does actually open up. Let's talk about Newcastle United, because it appears that finally there's some good news for Newcastle fans. And for once, it doesn't look like a forced dawn. Um, This is a deal that I think has been rumbling on for months now, but it appears that Mike Ashley's added a bit of a sweetener this time around. say congratulations to our good friend Mark Saggers who was hot on this story about six or seven months ago and I think negotiations clearly have been run rumbling on for quite some time and now it looks as if Amanda Stavely is going to get her hands alongside the uh, Saudi Investments Fund uh, on Newcastle United but Ashley's had to to give a little bit hasn't he? Yeah I think he's uh, secured uh, uh, acted as guarantee for a loan uh, that are actually going to use to buy the club. It seems a strange time, doesn't it? Right in the middle of a pandemic when there's so much uncertainty up and down the country about 
possible lost television revenue, pay cuts for players and staff. It, it doesn't seem the ideal time to buy a Premier League football club. Or maybe it is. Um, the future of Steve Bruce will come under scrutiny as well because one of the other things that Sags was pretty hot on right at the very beginning, and I'm talking October time, was that if this group do take over the football club or if someone takes over the football club with Amanda Staveley certainly having a hand in it, then they will want to try and bring back Rafa Benitez. I, I wonder if that is the next story that starts to emerge. I think that would be harsh on, on Steve Bruce, although he's never really endeared himself to the Newcastle fans. Maybe that's because of his Sunderland connection. Maybe it's because of the Dow football they've served up this season, the lowest scorers in the division. Oh. And I think if, if the new owners want to carry favour with a fan base straight away, then bringing back Rafa Benitez seems as good a way as any to do that. Other news, it looks like football is ramping up the idea of returning in June. Jim White broke a story in uh, the first few hours of his TalkSport show on Wednesday in which he was saying that... Uh, the Premier League source that he has has sort of told him that in the best case scenario, the idea of starting in June and finishing the season at the end or middle of July, maybe playing three times a week, then having four to five weeks off, coming back in September for the start of the new season is the best case scenario. They've also told him that the season has to finish because it is essentially a qualifier on so many different levels for so many aspects of the following season. Uh, at every level. So therefore, the the idea of having a null and void season has never really been considered. I, I, I sort of tweeted about this earlier on and asked people what they thought about it. And a lot of people gave a, a bit of a backlash about the idea of behind closed doors football. And I must admit that um, the idea of having and commentating, watching, experiencing football without any supporters doesn't feel particularly right. I think the main concern for me is that it's safe to uh, to do it first of all and that no no one's going to be put in any danger but if it is safe to do it and to go back behind closed doors I think we have to sort of have that in our in our minds because otherwise we could be waiting a very very long time before we see football again I, and interesting to see what people actually think about that I did do a little uh, a poll on my Twitter about it and it was pretty split I must admit yeah, my last game uh, before the lockdown was actually uh, Manchester United's. My last commentary was Manchester United's game in Austria in the Europa League when, of oh, course, right, yeah. uh, they were playing in a, a virtually empty stadium. It, it is a strange dynamic. You'd have done games behind closed doors as well. It's not ideal, uh, either from a broadcaster's perspective or probably from a player's either, because I think it will lose a bit of intensity. You can hear every word the players are saying, much like you would at an open training session or, or a pre-season friendly. I wonder if any clubs have, have, have mooted the idea when they do go behind closed doors, and I think that is a when and not an if now, of maybe playing fake crowd effects over the tannoy just to try and give it that feel of, of having a, a live crowd in well, there. Well, like the Tottenham did at their um, at their first couple of games at the uh, new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium or something. Was that a story? I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. Uh, you can't get away I with that. I think it might surely. work, though. It do might you? work. Oh, God, no, no. Well, maybe, I don't know. Try it, let's try it. Well, let's try everything, why not? Uh, we've got Michael Dawson on the way, uh, but let's hear from the England and Manchester City striker, Ellen White. Uh, she was the joint top scorer at last season's Women's World Cup, and despite injuries, had a really positive start to life at Manchester City. Uh, this is what she's been up to uh, during the lockdown. It's been challenging, but I think it's important that everyone has to kind of stick to it. And, you know, if we ride this out, then hopefully, you know, football will return to us a bit quicker. But yeah, for us, it's just about trying to find things that don't bore us so <laughs> that's challenging but um but yeah so i've i've done some lego which is exciting stuff i haven't finished it yet but i'm working on it um but yeah i think it's just trying to keep occupied to be honest 
What Lego have you done? Because I saw that John Barrowman's husband built a Bugatti the other day and a Millennium Falcon. Oh, God, blimey. I'm not that... I'm actually a snail doing it, if I'm being honest. Um, I've got Friends Lego at the moment. What? Friends um, Lego? What's that? You know, like Central Perk. You know, the... Yeah. The little... Yeah, I've got that. You're building the cafe? I'm building it, yeah. Oh, that's cracking. It's actually it's actually really fun. Um, I'm hoping to get I'm hoping to get like a stadium. I'm getting hopefully a West Ham stadium to build. Obviously a West Ham fan, so that'll mm. be fun. And we will have some similar stories to that on commentary confinement, which is coming up a little bit later on. Have you, have you built Lego for your uh, for your kids? I, I built a Harry Potter train and train station last Christmas for my little boy. I made it. I it took hours and i mean absolute hours and at one stage i did drop it and i had to start the station again and i was absolutely furious i gave it to him on christmas day an empty box he went where's the lego i went i've already made it for you here it is here's one i made earlier i did the whole sort of fanfare thing and then i wouldn't let him play with it i put it in a <laughs> honestly and this is so out of order i then said to him okay well, we'll play with that one later put it in a cupboard it's still in the cupboard we've never taken it out again because I'm so precious I, I, about him breaking it. I, I can understand that because I did a similar thing with a Star Wars X-Wing a few years ago. Although my eight-year-old Jamie is really good. He was given um, uh, the, the Apollo spaceship, which had uh, 1,969 pieces oh. for his birthday. And he put it all together on his own. It's still standing. So credit to him for that. But as you know, I'm not particularly good at... At piecing things together I had to build a barbecue uh, after the last podcast and honestly it, it nearly ended in divorce it had about 80 screws this stupid li- little barbecue it's supposed to be for the garden and, and yeah me and the missus nearly came to blows over that you could feel the heat emanating off of your voice <laughs> anyway um, let's get to uh, Michael Dawson okay this week we're checking in with the Nottingham Forest legend uh, the man who spent over nine years at Tottenham Hotspur as well England centre-back Michael Dawson is with us. Hello, Michael. Good morning, guys. Nice to uh, speak to you. What have you been doing during lockdown? Are you one of these who's been building Lego? Have you been baby-feeding, homeschooling, smashing Disney Plus and Netflix to bits? What have you been doing? I've been doing everything. I've been doing Lego. I've been painting some fences. I've been doing a bit of pointing. The wife's been homeschooled. I haven't been schooling. She's been doing that. So we've got... uh, a five-year-old and a, a six-month, so she's been in charge of the, the homeschooling. I've been getting the uh, my young daughter asleep in in the morning, and then I've been going out for a run whenever uh, whenever I get a chance. So it's it's been absolute non-stop, but but great times. Look through this very strange and and sad times, which is uh, is happening at this moment in time. Um, you know, as a player's point of view, you you're away, you're in hotels. Uh, you've got to make the the most of uh, certainly a sad and, and bad situation at the moment, and that is spending time with uh, with your loved ones, and the wife and kids. Which, like I say, we're away a lot. You are getting them them special times that you know. My little boy always wakes up and says, "Hey, tonight, Daddy, or are you away football?" And it's th- those times that you've you've got to treasure because it is it's, it's a sad, sad time at this moment in time. But like I say, we uh, we're making the the best of of these hard times. Michael, without wanting to draw attention to your age, um, I'm going to draw attention to your age. <laughs> is it more difficult for you because you're 36 and in the veteran stage of, of your career? Do you feel it more, do you think, than the younger players because you know probably you haven't got that much more football left in you? I think it's harder to keep fit. <laughs> I said probably 
we we had a, a meeting with myself, Grabs and Watto and, and the manager and uh, the senior staff last week. And look, when it became clear that we weren't going to be playing in the in the near future, they they give us two weeks of of downtime. Um, just to probably regroup and have a little break because we've been keeping fit for three weeks, and that physically and mentally, being away from the lads is was hard. Knowing not knowing when you're going to be back training, that that for me was the hardest because come the off season when you have six weeks, I have three weeks, I do nothing, literally nothing, um, and then I have three weeks before I do go back for pre-season of ticking over, knowing what I have to do to to be initiated to get through the six-week grueling pre-season where. There was no goal, uh, or there isn't a goal at this moment in time. I know that there's talk of we, we may be back in training in the middle of May, uh, and probably we'll we'll touch base with the fitness coach in maybe two weeks to, to to start ticking over again and getting ready to to get back to to full fitness. So it is hard, but I'd also stress it's harder for the young lads on on their own, or maybe just yourselves and the girlfriends or wives when you've got kids you blink and the day's gone because it's non-stop. So they're keeping you busy. But from a, from a fitness point of view, certainly when you get over, that is that is, uh, is, is certainly one of the harder sides of it. Nottingham Forest, probably more than most teams, will be anxious for the season to be completed because you're in a, a pretty handy position in the championship. What do you put that down to this season? Is it just the impact of the manager or does it go deeper than that? I think... Obviously, the manager coming in was he's been incredible. Uh, I speak so highly of him on not just on a, a professional perspective, but certainly as a personal perspective. He's, he's a great guy. He's he's probably as close as manager I've been to. Um, albeit the start of the season, I had had a great start, picked up a calf injury, uh, and not really got back in the team. Down to Joe Warren and Tobias, been been fantastic. So. But look, the manager is he's so open with all his players. We've got a squad of any probably twenty plus to to twenty six, and you can only only pick eleven in the starting team and a squad of eighteen. So it's it's tough for him. But the lads are we've got a great group that that train well together. Um, but I think it comes from from your from your manager. He's he's a leader. He's got a great staff. He's the way he conducts himself, win lose. He he, he tries to keep level level pegging all the time because we've. We've done. We've had some unbelievable performances, and we've put ourselves in a great position. And like you say, we we want the season to carry on, whenever it may be, because we put ourselves in a in a great chance for for promotion. But time will tell, and we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, Matty Cash has been a major asset to you. I think you called him the new Cafu uh, the other week, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, we, we were doing uh, a Zoom meeting, myself, Cash, and. Uh, it was Don Goodman and, and David Prutton. So we were speaking about, about the manager and, and then it came up that look how well the manager done has done so far this season, but how, what he's done with Matty Cash and changed him from a right winger to a right back. And he's, um, he's certainly been the best right back in, in the league this season. He's been a breath of fresh air. He's, he's energetic. He's up and down. Um, and it always reminds me I spoke about Danny Rose when Danny Rose was a left winger when they signed him at Spurs from Leeds from a young lad and and you look at him going on to have an unbelievable career as a left back England international and you look at Cash he's just got all the attributes to be a, a top top right back he's he, he's brilliant in the air he can overlap he's he's good on the ball so for his first full season as a as a right back to play play there week in week out he's done incredible mm. Inevitably, because of how he's been playing, there have been uh, 
some tabloid speculation about his future. Do you think Forrest need to go up and win promotion to the Premier League to keep him for the long term? Well, look, it's it's Forrest's dream. It's been 21 years since Nottingham Forrest have been in the Premier League. And I remember standing uh, or sitting in the Trent End, sitting in the A block, watching them in the Premier League. Um, you know, so to have been that long since we've been in the Premier League, it's, it's where we want to get to. But what I will say is, is the academy, it's always done it. Gareth Brazil is doing an unbelievable job. He's brought Cashy through, Joe Worrell, Ryan Year, Tyler Walker. We've got Brennan Johnson who played this year, Alex Might, and we've got a young group of players. I've probably missed one or two there as well because Forrest just seem to keep producing. They've got a great academy. Um, you know, so do we have to keep him? He signed a new contract. He's like he's like any player. You always want to play at the the highest level. There's no doubt in that. But he'll want to do that with Nottingham Forest because they give him the opportunity to to go out and express um, his potential, and he's obviously thriving on that and, and taking it with with both hands. Um, does this lockdown period give you a chance to, to to learn new skills to think about what's going to come next for you after your football career comes to an end? I mean, I looked over your left shoulder there, and I've seen a big map of Europe. I just wondered whether or not. <laughs> You're taking like a geography yeah, course or the, something. The wife, the wife when, we, when we knew we were coming into lockdown, she made a little classroom for a little boy. So she's she's done an incredible job. Look, I did some points in that I've never ever done in my life, Sam. So it's it's one of those. But I don't think I'll be going down that route because it, no one's parked on where I've uh, I've pointed yet. So it could all start coming out with cars <laughs> on it or what have you. So, but little things like I say that you you haven't done. Uh, and you get this opportunity in time and, and like I say, you've got to embrace it because uh, everything that's going on outside, it's it, it's really, really tough. So, so, you, so did you point your drive? Is that what you did? Well, yeah, I've got a little bit that it obviously needed pointing, so I... Uh, you don't sound I, very I sure about it, I've got to be honest. No, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say it was the best job I've ever done, but I had, a, I, I had some time on me and I thought, I always wanted to do it. I've tried it. Probably won't be doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> we baked some bread at the weekend and we thought that was an achievement. I'm, yeah, I'm definitely did. not going to be pointing anything in the near future. Um, <laughs> I've seen some quotes from Paul Hart when I was preparing for our chat uh, saying that he sees you as a future manager. Is that um, a, a path that you think you may go down? And, and, and who in terms of the managers you've played under are your biggest influences? Well, I think, look, you, you speak there about Paul. Paul was me signed me at a 40, as a 14-year-old uh, and then I left home at 16 and he gave me the opportunity to play in the first team at 18, which was, I look back and think, wow, that was young as a centre-half. Players develop, are developing a lot later. Maybe it was the the time that I got the opportunity. He, he was he was so hard, but he's, he's coaching the expectations day and day. And I, and I still train like that. When I go on across the training pitch, you, I train like I play. You have to. And that's, uh, that's how I've always always been from, from, from a young guy. Like, But then I think... I look from Harry Redknapp getting me certainly my Spurs days back to where I knew I could play and I probably had my best years under him. Um, you know, being in the World Cup squad 2010, getting in the Champions League, he was one because I'd struggled under one day Ramos. It was um, it was a hard time under my confidence and that's something that I came out the other side and I would I would say to all all young players when you do go through a hard time try and be mentally strong and come out the other side because it does, it stands you in good stead. And, and it has done for the rest of my career from them times because they were certainly hard times uh, under one day where as personally and as a team we were in real trouble. Harry was just a great man manager. He just got the best out of every, every player. It was 
it was quite remarkable um, where we were uh, as a team and, and players when he walked through the door. But then he was he was incredible. So, and I think now in in the latter stages of my career working with with Sabri, it's just uh, it's way probably managers are going where they're very open. And, you know, his door's always open. He chats to myself, grabs. Uh, watch all the, the senior lads probably a lot more than I have done any any other manager, you know. And society's changed with with young young players now, so you you have to take that on board. Going back to do I want to manage? Look, I still love playing. I love every minute. I do know I'm getting older. I do know it'll come to the end of, uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, but I certainly hope I can play next year. And then I'm doing my A license. I enjoy the media work. So who who knows? There's hopefully there'll be plenty of doors doors open when uh, I do come to my boots up. But this morning in time, I'm I'm loving getting out on the training pitch with the with the with the lads to keep me uh, keep me young. Listen, lovely to speak to you. Um, we'll let you get back to uh, a dummy's guide to pointing, and um, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully we'll speak to you soon. Cheers, guys. Michael Dawson, top top guy. I really like him um, and uh, good luck to him and Nottingham Forest as they go forward in this season when it resumes. Now, you may have heard our commentary confinement with Ian Danter a few weeks ago on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport in which he was talking about his new album that he was recording. But also, during that interview with us, he broke into an impression of TalkSport's Graham Courtney, he really did, and him talking to Steve Bruce, the Newcastle manager. Safe to say he's better at impressions than Sam. Anyway, we set Dance the challenge of carrying off a full press conference all by himself. Mm. This week, he takes on the roles of the former England manager, Graham Taylor, and the special one himself. Let's cross to Talk Sports' Jim White for more details. Hello, I'm Jim White, and this is Manager Media Meltdown, where we remember those times when bosses lost it in front of the press at crucial times. Now, I like an England failure as much as the next Scotsman, but when Graham Taylor took the national side to Rotterdam in 93, knowing he had to get a draw against the Dutch to make the World Cup, the pressure was on. And pre-match, the writers weren't happy with his squad, which they felt echoed the one he picked for a disastrous loss in Norway. Graham couldn't take it from one particular guy in the press pack, Rob Shepard, from the Today newspaper. Barrett's already out and the others, that's what I said. What's the problem? What's the problem with everybody? What's the matter with everybody? Particularly the English people, the, the Dutch people. Come on, come on, rise yourselves, get on with it, look for your win. Oh, Rob, I can't continue giving this. Rob, I, I can't have... Listen, Rob, Rob, I cannot have faces like yours round and about, eh? And I'll continue... No, I, I can't, Rob, I can't. Rob, 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 Rob. I tell you this now, I tell you this now. If you was one of my players with a face like that, I'd f***ing kick you out. You'd never have a chance. Get yourself up, man, put a smile on your face. We're it for business. Come on, Rob, come on, come on. Let's have a little bit back now. That's it, come on, Rob, that's it. Put a smile on, be a bit more, eh? F***ing hells, bells, eh? The whole nation rests on whether Rob Shepherd is happy or not. Now, England went on to lose that match and failed to qualify, with Taylor losing his job not long after. So, 
Rob Shepard was right after all. Now, if there's one guy that seemed to get Jose Mourinho's backup all the time, it was the man he called a voyeur and a specialist in failure, Arsene Wenger. Sometimes Jose had all the subtlety of a sledgehammer about the Frenchman. Like when he was asked about Steve McLaren being under pressure as the then Newcastle boss. I think in this country, only one manager is not under pressure. Every other manager is under pressure. So Steve is under pressure. I am under pressure. Brendan is under pressure. Pellegrini is under pressure. Everybody is under pressure. We, we cannot lose matches. We cannot be below expectations. We have to reach our objectives. So I have sympathy for all of them. And I believe they all have sympathy to myself because um, it's a difficult job. But there is one that for some reason is outside that list. But um, good for him. Good for him. And uh, of course... I have sympathy for Steve. Who's the uh, who's the guy not on the list? You know. No, I genuinely, I genuinely don't know. Can speak about referees before the game. Can speak about referees after the game. Can push people in the technical area. Can cry in the morning. Can cry in the afternoon. Nothing happens. Can not achieve. Keep the job. Steal the king. It's a privilege. You know what? He is very good, isn't he? He is very, very good. I think his Jim White is is sensational, and his um, his his Graham Taylor was pretty damn close to the mark. Um, more of that next week, and Dance has a podcast as well, where he does tons of characters like that. Ian Danter's Barmy Old Podcast, which is out every Monday, and uh, our producer Lucy has convinced him to try and do me, which is going to be interesting. I'm not sure I'm looking forward to it. I've got to be honest with you. I mean, to be honest. If he can manage to do me without the swear words, that'd be great. Because usually, away from the microphone, I have I, I've got a bit of an issue with that. I can I can vouch for that, but I, I am looking forward to it actually to see exactly what road he goes down with that particular impression. <laughs> hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to work in the channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. 
T's and C's apply. Portsmouth were due to be back at Wembley for the second successive season in the Leasing.com trophy final against Salford City. Instead, central defender Christian Burgess was out on Hailing Island, a nearby settlement to Portsmouth, delivering goods to the needy and the vulnerable on behalf of the Heart of Hailing boxing club to which he has links. And he joins us now. Christian, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Um, it's a great gesture, this. How did you get involved? What was your motivation for getting involved with this? Oh, well... Um... I was aware of the work that um, the guys on on the Halen Island were doing. I sort of I've been involved with the Harp Halen Boxing Academy before, so I, I saw Mark and um, he'd let me know how they were coping over there, and I just thought I'd uh, pop along and um, see things for myself really, and go and try and do my bit. Yeah. And how was it received, Christian, by the people that you were d- delivering food and medicine supplies to? I, I take it they were all very happy to see you. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, you know, they're reliant and dependent on those prescriptions it's a worrying time for people um one lady told me that she has an underlying health condition she can't go out but her husband's been driving past the pharmacist and it's been queuing around the corner and, and they're sort of scared to go in so she was delighted when we delivered it to the door and um yeah, it was a, it's a really important service that those uh, guys are providing. You're someone who lives in the heart of the city. And it's my understanding you've, you've been taking advantage of the government's daily exercise allowance by cycling on, along the seafront and, and maybe getting to know uh, one or two landmarks better that you perhaps didn't before. Uh, are you getting spotted by Pompey fans on a daily basis? Yeah, I get the odd shout down the seafront when I'm running. Sort of encouragement, uh, other messages. Um, so that you know, that's nice. Um, I'm getting out of my bike a little bit more, going up to the top of Portsdown Hill, and the view with the weather over the last couple of days is is just phenomenal. Um, so that's nice. But you know, I've not been going out for going out sake. It's it's been restricted to the the exercise, either running or or doing a proper cycle. So um, it's been enjoyable, but the the effort itself has been tough at the same time. Uh, how have you? How have your teammates been? Have you have you been keeping in touch with your teammates? Because um, Ronan Curtis's mum was helping out with with nutrition at one point. <laughs> so yeah, well, obviously you know, like every club up and down the country, we have our WhatsApp group. I actually saw Ronan's mum on one of my runs, which was quite funny and sort of uh, shouting out as I was running off. Um, <laughs> she sort of implored me to get Ronan out the morning and do a bit more exercise. But did she say, "Can I have uh, my plate back" or something? What was it? <laughs> no, she, she, uh, she's a great character as well, by the way. So, um, no, we had a bit of banter and, and that was that. Okay, listen, uh, it's been great talking to you. Thank you very much. And congratulations for helping out once again, as you did over the weekend. Uh, congratulations on, on reaching Wembley again. And hopefully next time we talk to you, it'll all be about football because we'll be back playing. I hope so. That would be uh, a great, great respite from this. Yeah. No football means not much work to do for our illustrious team of game day reporters who trek heartily up and down the country with a packed lunch in their bag and an apple on their chair every weekend in order to give the listeners of TalkSport the goals as they go in. But now they're finding themselves confined to the house. Let's check in with one of them and see how they are handling their commentary confinement. Nigel Adley usually commentates on our Premier League Saturdays and EFL matches. Hello, Nigel. Hi, Sam. How are you doing? We're good, thank you. Um, Crook and I did a bakery class this week. We've mentioned how we made wonderful buns and focaccias. Uh, I hear you've picked up the flour and water as well. 
Yes, when I could find them in the supermarket, I did, yes. Um, obviously, the situation we have at the moment, as we all know, we have a bit more time. So I started to revisit some of the recipes I made when my, my kids were very young. So um, I rustled up a courgette and pineapple loaf, which got derision from Adrian Durham. But um, <laughs> some people in the office did used to enjoy it when I brought it in. And my wife was also given a massive bag of crystallized ginger um, by a health food shop for nothing because they just wanted to get rid of the stuff. Is, so, that, is um, that like crystallised Adrian Durham? Yeah, it is. Hang on, just bear with me. <laughs> Here we go. In the kitchen. There we are. Oh, like you show me a bag of it as well, and it does look yeah. like, um, like, like you could eat it out of a bag like sweets. Oh, I do. It, 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 it's very Moorish, very sweet. Um, not the sort of thing that's, that's very good to eat. A bit like you know, Adrian Durham, go. very Moorish. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. So I made a date and ginger cake as well, and it, it's actually gone down quite well. So, um, you know, you've got to rediscover some of the your lost skills from home economics in, in well, whatever. It was first year when I did it. It's probably year seven now, whatever it is. So. Just a quick thing back on the – the uh, you said you made a – courgette and something loaf is that right courgette and pineapple loaf that yes. sounds like something that alex crook would really like i think yeah with a big big side order a bit of, of meat on the side as well yeah well, don't no, you join in as well no it was um <laughs> yeah it's something i used to make because we used to have an allotment but um in a previous life and uh, we used to make get loads of courgettes and um what do you do obviously you you, you saute them you stick them in in a you know in a vegetable dish but i was told by um a lady on another plot that if you got the courgettes and um either sort of spiralized them or you grated them they go really nicely in a loaf with with a pineapple and of course you and can spiralize was, them and use them as like a pasta substitute as well can't you i mean it's fantastic absolutely. for that i mean well, crook what would you do with a courgette maybe you shouldn't answer that um <laughs> I'd probably put it back on the shelf, to be honest. <laughs> yes, exactly. Probably go look for the tin stuff. <laughs> um, Ian Dant is making an album. Uh, could you make a cookbook, do you think? Yeah, possibly. I mean, it's two recipes at the moment. Um, but I have been sort of trying to make curry sauces from, from scratch as well. Because obviously we've, we've got a few more um, issues with, with getting stuff from supermarkets, as we all know. So rather than just buying a tin of something, trying to make curry sauces from scratch, which I think... You know, when you, when you sit down and eat a meal and you've actually gone through the spice rack, and I've got a spice rack just out of the shop here, which I, some of them expired in 1999. I've used them um, uh, so infrequently, but they're still fine. And I think just, just cooking from scratch, you know, if you've got a couple of hours in the kitchen, which we've tended to have at the moment, then, then why not? I think it's important to expand your repertoire because when the football does eventually return, we'll all be busy doing that. On the subject of 1999, I understand, Nigel, you've also been uh, voicing commentaries on old European games for UEFA. Uh, how does that work as a process? And, and in terms of preparation, how do you prepare for a game that you already know the outcome of? Well, it's been great fun, to be honest, Alex, because I, one of the most recent games I did was Ajax against Bayern Munich semi-final from 1995. And you prep it as you would prep a normal game because you've got to do the 90 minutes. Um, and I don't, obviously, you, you know what's going to happen and you can prepare when the goals have been scored and you know how the goals have been scored. But you're still prepping players. I mean, like in that game, there was an 18 year old Clarence Seydorf, a 19 year old Patrick Kluivert, um, some great players right at the start of their career. Louis van Gaal was about 43 
one of the coaches and, and on the German side, um, Mehmet Scholl, who was a fine German player at the time, Helmer as well. But when you're prepping it, you're only prepping it up to that time. And you, you can't be too clever and say, well, you know, so-and-so has done this now and destined to have a glittering career in the game. And I also did um, Verde Bremen Valencia from 2010. In that game, a young Juan Mata, a young David Villa, a young David Silva, Jordi Alba, I think, was a teenager. And on the Verde Bremen side, there was uh, a young pair, Mertesacker, who looked old even then. And Mesut Ozil, who I think was barely out of his teens, and was absolutely brilliant. And when you, you, you're prepping these games, you're prepping them as young players. And, and it's been great fun to do, not just because it's football, but because it's, it's an examination of, of, of how football used to be. And, and the way football was covered in 1995 for the Ajax game, even though it was a massive game, uh, Champions League semi-final, it wasn't in HD, which we take for granted now when mm. we're looking at football either as a commentator on the television or as a viewer. Not many cameras. And it was it was fairly a fairly sort of scare, you know, that the coverage started five minutes before the game and they came off five minutes after the game. And it is very different to the sort of 24-hour coverage we have now. And that sort of game would have a two-hour build-up now on some channels. But, you know, looking at the coverage that we commentated on at the time, they came on five minutes before. Uh, Nigel, thank you very much for coming on and giving us an insight into your commentary confinement and hopefully we'll hear you back behind the mic very shortly. In the meantime, if you do have any leftover courgette loaf, please send it down to Crook. I'm sure he would devour it. The next game on the South Coast, there'll be a little package when he arrives in the press room. (laughs) Look forward to it. (laughs) Cheers, guys. Brilliant piece in the Times this week uh, suggesting that uh, it will be 18 months now until we see full sporting stadiums again. An epidemiologist by the name of Dr Zach Binney has spoken to Matt Lawton who's written a couple of big articles on this and actually was on TalkSport earlier in the week explaining that uh, you know he thought the idea of going back even behind closed doors was a little bit premature right now. Um, but um, this uh, scientist has said, you know, we won't see crowds returning until a vaccine is available, which could be up to 18 months. And he says, the quote is, as a scientist, I hate to say I'm ever 100% sure about anything, but I am close to 100% as I've ever been. So that's going to be a very long time, isn't it? Yeah, and I've read the quotes, actually. He says um, it's pretty obvious if you've got five people in a stadium, then that's less dangerous than having 10. If you've got 1,000 people in the stadium, that's more risky than if you've got 100 and so on and so forth. So I I guess it makes sense. But this is a big worry, uh, particularly for those lower league sides. I'm thinking teams in League One and League Two who rely almost solely on ticket sales and particularly uh, in League One the visits of clubs like Sunderland and Portsmouth to really boost their coffers because obviously the TV revenue in those divisions isn't as vast as it is in the Premier League and even the Championship so again I think a lot of clubs now if that is the case and I really hope it isn't they're going to have to look at their business models Okay so I put a tweet out about this saying really fascinated by some of the discussions on behind closed doors football so I'd like to get a better if not entirely scientific picture by putting out a poll uh, saying bearing in mind a leading professor in epidemiology has said today he can't see a full sports stadia for 18 months would you halt all sport until then return behind closed doors and up tv coverage or cancel the season and assess in september where would your vote be i voted already actually i did go for the middle one um to 
return behind closed doors and, and up the television coverage. And there was an interesting proposal put forward by Oriel Romeu, the Southampton midfielder this week, which got shot down in no uncertain terms by Perry Groves on TalkSport to install television cameras in the dressing room. Uh, his thinking was that it would make those fans who can't attend in person feel closer to the action but Perry definitely didn't agree with that um, interesting responses to that tweet by the way Zoe King says cancel this season and concentrate on trying to start next season on time what's happened this season is hopefully a one-off and won't ever happen again the total vote at the moment and we've had about 1200 votes on this 55% saying return behind closed doors and up TV coverage 38% cancel season and assessed uh, in September. Jeff Stelling actually has got in touch about this subject and he says, you know, this is just one epidemiologist in Atlanta and they must have scoured the globe to dredge up another negative scare story. He does not know, nor do we, so let's stop guessing, which I suppose is fair enough. Well said, Jeff. Okay, well, Scottish clubs have voted to end the Scottish Professional Football League season outside the top flight with immediate effect. It comes after Dundee reversed an earlier intention to reject the proposals, thus achieving the numbers required for the motion to pass. Dundee had initially submitted what was an electronic no vote, but it did not reach the SPFL and the club only realised when the league announced the results on Friday. In a statement, the SPFL have said the SPFL has announced that the director's written resolution ending the 2019 20 season in the Labrooks Championship League 1 and 2 has been passed with an agreement of 81% of all members now what does that mean I suppose I mean the first thing is is that uh, Dundee United Wraith Rovers and Cove Rangers have all been declared champions of the uh, respective uh, divisions um, what about uh, relegation stuff like that is, has that been sorted as well uh, well, my understanding is that Partick Thistle and Stranra have now been relegated. Uh, all playoffs have been cancelled, though, uh, meaning that the Pyramid playoff, which involves the Highland League and Lowland League champions, has been scrapped. Of course, uh, the Scottish Premier League season has not yet been null and voided, but the whole uh, system has been a bit of a shambolic, to be honest. I heard Ali McCoist on Sports Breakfast earlier this week, and he was really agitated and infuriated. First of all, mm. um, that the SPFL released the results of the vote uh, before all votes had been counted and verified. Uh, and secondly, that originally they came out and said Dundee hadn't submitted a vote and then had to backtrack on that and say, actually, they have. I think Ali also felt maybe there's been a bit of bullying on behalf of some of the bigger clubs, to use his words, forcing uh, the smaller clubs to re- reluctantly accept this proposal um, to ensure that they were going to get whatever final finishing money was due to them so SPFL haven't come out great in this I'd be a little bit upset if I was Partick Thistle having played 27 games one less than Queen of the South and Alloa and yet having only two points less than Queen of the South Um, I'd be a little bit uh, frustrated about that if I was them because you never know what's going to happen in the last few weeks of the season I mean at least with Stranra they were so far behind there wasn't much chance of them catching up so you can understand why they've been relegated listen as we've said a hundred times before this is not going to be a perfect scenario and someone is going to lose out Partick Thistle look like they are the ones on this occasion I, I, I think the biggest issue is is that the Scottish Premiership may still not go that way because UEFA of course have said we don't want you to do this to any of the top leagues in Europe. They've already cocked an eyebrow at Belgium. They're furious about Belgium stopping their season. So the idea that Scotland would then stick their two fingers up at UEFA's directive would be slightly odd, I think, in in, 
in going forward because um, that may well cause them more problems down the line. We're in for a strange set of uh, uh, fallouts from this. And I mentioned Partick Thistle, but I'm sure there'll be others that start kicking up a bit of a fuss about it. I mean, Dundee, they, they said they wanted to get something out of it, didn't they? I think they, the restructuring or something of Scottish football, which was one of the reasons why they delayed their vote, which would trouble me a little bit. Yeah, and it's only the 15th of April. Um, we're all making predictions and, and, and premonitions about when football may be able to resume. The simple fact of the matter is we don't know. I, I don't really understand. I said this when non-league took their decision, why we are having to make this definitive decision on the 15th of April. Let's see how the next few weeks unfold, surely. Totally agree. Have you watched anything fun on Netflix or Amazon Prime or on Disney Plus or something this week? I need something uplifting. I need something to keep me going. I've been watching um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is like a really stupid cop show. It's hilarious. It's like just total comedy. It's about 25 minutes an episode and it's brilliant. It's just total nonsense. It's just silliness gone mad. Yeah, I've gone a bit old school, actually. Um, I've, I've tweeted in the past that my normal routine was, was watching the 10 o'clock news and, and finding out what happened that particular day and getting depressed largely and then cheering myself up by watching a classic episode of Only Fools and Horses. I'm still watching a lot of that. I watched the Royal Family episode the other night, which, again, I've not Did seen you? for years. It was Yeah, it was one where they were, were, were in a caravan and you know driving to a campsite because usually... You just see them in their own environment in the front room watching TV. It was very funny, actually. So You and yeah, Jim, maybe... Jim Royal separated at birth? <laughs> uh, actually, someone said to me, because obviously you, you, you don a bow tie uh, do, for yeah. when you do your, your, your Friday night quiz. Uh, someone told me you look like a bad in-betweener. So if we're doing comedy uh, comparisons, <laughs> you can have that one. Yeah, that's probably about right, though, really, for me, isn't it, eh? Oh, dear. I did manage to uh, catch up with uh, Palace defender Patrick Van Arnholt uh, last week, who spoke to me on the Saturday sessions uh, on TalkSport. And uh, he did have some good recommendations for Netflix. Have you seen the Money Heist? Do you know what? I haven't. I was going to start that last night. Is it good? Oh, my days. You have to watch it. It's three seasons, you know, four seasons. Okay, that's going to keep me occupied for at least two days. Uh, no, I've watched one season in one day, in, in half a day. Okay. Like, like, yeah, like that. All so right. if you if you watch the first one, I'm guaranteeing you, you finished uh, season one and two in one day. Okay, I'm going to rattle through it. He was good, actually. Very, very good indeed. I enjoyed speaking to him, Patrick Van Arnholt of Crystal Palace. Right, I uh, enjoyed speaking to you as well. Alex Crook, thank you very much for your contribution today. And to Nigel Adley as well, to Ian Danter for his wonderful press conference, uh, to Christian Burgess and, of course, to Michael Dawson, who came on the programme, and Ellen White as well. Um, we'll be back same time next week. Keep safe, keep your distance, stay home, protect the NHS and save lives. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. 
The single most important thing is to work in the channelised being bingus of the bypass will rise plug sale and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.